want to thank Jason Spencer for putting that uh, video together. Let's give him a round of applause because it's beautiful. I'm glad to know that I'm not the only one that used to have more hair and used to look more sparkly, David. It's an honor to be here today. What a joy to be in God's house. Isn't this a good day? First Baptist Church, those aren't. Um, yeah, you can clap again. That's all right. Um, and I appreciate, uh, so, so today I'm Philip the Lesser, this is Philip the Greater, um, and uh, I appreciate uh, Philip's very, very kind words. I'm reminded of an old preacher joke that uh, when uh, you're going to be out of the pulpit, you never ask somebody who's a better preacher than you to come preach for you, so that uh, by the time he gets, you get back, then they're happy to have you back. So, um, uh, just uh, uh, be aware that uh, Philip will be back next week, and so everything will be okay. Uh, but it, it really is truly an honor to be here with you. And um, it's, it's my joy and privilege to bring you greetings from your 56 uh, sister congregations that are part of your local family of Southern Baptist Churches, the Tri-County Baptist Association. 56 churches that believe that... Uh, we can do some things for the Lord better by working together than we can on our own. And uh, it's my privilege to serve as director of missions of that ministry. And uh, uh, it's, um, it's a great ministry. I appreciate you guys letting me do that. In fact, uh, as soon as I finish preaching today, uh, I've got to head down to Forsyth. Uh, because First Baptist Forsyth has a global impact conference they've invited me to be a part of. And so we're going to miss the, the lunch um, and the, and the celebration this afternoon, but it's a joy to be with you here today. I want to ask you if you would please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, and that's the passage of Scripture that we will be looking at today. Um, and uh, I generally don't preach off of a manuscript. I'll be doing that today um, uh, for two reasons. Uh, David threatened me within an inch of my life if I go too long, and uh, I generally tend to, if I preach off of an outline, I'll I'll chase rabbits. And the second reason is, is that I understand the lunch bell is going to be ringing at 11.45, and I don't want to have a mass exit uh, while I'm preaching. So, um, uh, but I also just wanted to make sure that um, I was able to convey what I really believe the Lord has for the church today. On a summer Saturday 150 years ago, in post-Civil War, southwestern Missouri, a group of Baptists from several area congregations, including Prospect Baptist Church gathered at the district schoolhouse of unin the unincorporated town of Ozark for the purpose of organizing a new Baptist church. After hearing a sermon from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, 13 of those that were gathered uh, stood up and moved to another part of the, of the building. And by so doing, those 13 separated themselves out and became the New Baptist Church. Their names, they're listed in your guidebook, but their names are worthy of mention here today. G.B. and Lucy Holland, James and Jerutha Jones, Elder T. Hanks, William Barber, W.C. Reitman, Benjamin Chapman, Margaret Lawing, Mary and Francis Chestnut, Martha Forrester, and Emily Payne. These 13 then adopted 13, no, 11 articles of faith. 
they decided uh, to meet for worship only one Sunday a month, the third Sunday of the month, and they chose to call themselves the Ozark Baptist Church. The service concluded with a prayer by Elder George Klein for the prosperity of the new congregation. Now, an outside uninterested observer would have, have ample reason to believe that this new church that was formed that day of 13 people, that they wouldn't last long. First of all, the Little Fellowship was launching 1869 in a period of great civil and social unrest. Uh, Post-Civil War, Southwest Missouri was plagued by roving bands of marauding murderers, one of those bands being led by Jesse James. But other factors also weighed against them. The church was starting with no property of its own. They only had a part-time pastor, quarter-time pastor, they called him, by the way. They planned to only meet one Sunday a month. Yet these faithful 13 reckoned that in spite of all those disadvantages and things working against them, they had one great factor in their favor, a promise from Almighty God that he would make of them, in the words of 1 Peter 2, a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now, church, today as we meet for worship, we are the spiritual heirs of those faithful 13. And the scripture chosen by McCord Roberts that day as text for a sermon is as timely and as needed today as it was a century and a half ago. Because then the members of Ozark Baptist Church needed to be reminded to keep their eyes on who Jesus is they needed to understand God's will for them as a congregation. And they needed to understand what end God had in mind for that baby church in the coming weeks, months, and years. And today, we, the current members of the First Baptist Church of Ozark, are well advised to consider those same truths because what was true then is still true today. We need to keep our eyes on who Jesus is. We need to understand who we are in His eyes. And we need to understand why and how He's at work among us. So today we're going to examine that same passage of Scripture that was preached in the founding of the church uh, 150 years ago. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And we're going to do it using a very simple method that can be used to study any verse or passage in the Bible using very three simple questions. You may want to write these down because they work for any passage of the Scripture. Question number one, what does this passage teach us about God? Question number two, what does this passage teach us about us or about people? And question number three, Based upon what we learn in question number one and question number two, what do we need to do about it? Three very simple questions. And so that's basically our outline today. So I want to ask if you would please to stand out of reverence of God's word as we read together uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, 
a living stone rejected by men, but inside of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. Now let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the privilege that you give us to be here in this place on this day. Lord, it's a day that we have marked as a day of celebration. It's a, it's a mile post in the journey that you have for this family of believers. We're, we're looking back, but Father, we need to look forward and to consider what you have for us in the future. We ask humbly, Holy Father, that you will bless this church. We unashamedly and boldly plead for your blessing because only you can do what needs to be done in this place. Help us to keep our eyes on you and you alone. So bless us now as we examine your word. We look back 150 years. We consider where we are today and what you would have us to do in the future. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So let's begin with question one. What does the passage say about Jesus? In first, verse 4, we read that Jesus is the living stone. Now, that's an interesting image. Those two thoughts don't seem to go together, do they? Stone and living. Because we generally think of stones and rocks as being something dead. But here Peter says that Jesus is the living stone. A stone that's alive. Well, how can Jesus be a stone that's alive? Well, here's what the verse says. It says that he is a stone. Not a field rock. Not a pebble. He is a stone. The kind of stone that you would choose to build a house. A house that is built to last. Strong and solid and secure and immovable and indestructible. Jesus is a stone. But not only is he a stone. Peter says he's a living stone. Dear friends, Jesus is all about life. He is life. In the first chapter of the Gospel of John, John says this, In him was life, and the life was the light of man. Later on in his Gospel, in John chapter 6, Jesus himself says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Later on in John chapter 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the Later on, he says in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the And then in Revelation chapter 1, John again writing, quoting Jesus. Jesus says this, fear not, I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. He was alive, then he was dead, and then he's alive forevermore. 
Dear friends, 150 years ago, there in that district schoolhouse, those first 13 heard that Jesus is the living stone upon which they were building their church. And he still is a living stone today. They also heard that this Jesus, the living stone, was, and this is interesting, he was rejected but chosen. You get that? It's an interesting contrast. He was rejected but chosen. Rejected by men but chosen by God. In the English Standard Version, the word that's used is rejected. In the King James Version, the the terminology is, he was, I love this, disallowed indeed of men. In the Amplified Bible, puts it this way, the living stone which men tried and threw away. Because the the idea being conveyed by by being rejected, they took a look at him, And figured out this is not what we're looking for. And I love what the message paraphrase says. It says the workman took one look and threw it out. In other words, they looked at Jesus and concluded that what they were building had no room. They had no room for Jesus. He was not their kind of material. He didn't fit the image of what they believed a Messiah should be and do and say. So they killed him. Now you and I, we all know that the world today still hates Jesus. Society hates Jesus. Our culture more and more hates him. Because Jesus doesn't claim to be just another good teacher. He claimed to be God himself. And that the only way to get to God was straight Through him. He was rejected by men, but chosen and precious to God. I love the story in the in the New Testament of the Transfiguration. You all know that story where Jesus took Peter, James, and John to a high mountain, and the the Bible says there he was transfigured before him, before them. And the word transfigure literally comes from the word we use for metamorphosis. He he changed not just his appearance, but but how he was. And it says his face shone like the sun, and his his garments were were in in the King James says they were glistering, which kind of gives me the idea of like sparkling and bright and white. And for one for one moment, the veil of Jesus' humanity was pulled away, and those three disciples were able to see him as he is the king of kings and lord of lords and there there came to him moses and elijah two of the arguably greatest figures of the old testament moses who who led the people to the promised land but who never set foot in the promised land until that day on that mountain elijah the great prophet that called down fire from heaven and peter james and john were just overwhelmed by this vision of Jesus with these two great Old Testament personages that they had read about and studied about and heard about. And Peter is so often, he spoke when he shouldn't have. And he, he spoke up and he said, Master, it's great that we're here. We'll build three tabernacles, three places of, of, to, 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 to honor you. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And when he said that, a great bright shining cloud of the Shekinah glory of God just descended upon the the, the, the top of that mountain and, and surrounded Jesus and, 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 and those three disciples. And out of the cloud came a voice, the voice of the Father, who said, 
Now, now, before we hear what he said, and you know what he said because you've heard the story, but before I mention that, Peter was putting Jesus on the same par with Moses and Elijah. When he said, we'll be three, three tabernacles for you guys. One for you, one for Moses and Elijah. He's, 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 he's saying Jesus is, is, is as great as those guys. And then God, the Father, said, okay, I've got to straighten something out here. And he said, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Moses was great. Elijah was great. But this is my boy. And he's the one you should listen to. Chosen and precious. 150 years ago, they heard that Jesus was, Jesus was God's chosen and precious living stone. He was then, and he still is today. So the second question to, that we come to when we're studying this passage of Scripture, we've looked at what the passage says about God. Now let's look at what the passage says about us, about people. Um, what do we learn about people? What do we learn about us? And in verse 4, Peter calls Jesus, get this, the living stone. And in verse 5, he says, believers are living stones. Well, how does that work? Well, according to Peter, we're stones and we're alive. We're not living stones like Jesus is the living stone, but we're still stones. And the best way I know to describe it is um, I love bringing uh, illustrations from my beautiful home state of North Carolina. Um, I think about a granite quarry. You know, the state rock of my home state is granite. Do you know that Ozark has a state rock? Y'all know that? Did you know that? You Missouri, Missouri Uttons. I've learned how to start a fight here in Missouri. Ask people, is it Missouri or Missouri? Missouri's got a state rock too. I'll just let you look that up. I know what it is. I ain't saying. But the state rock in my home state is granite. It's white granite. In fact, the largest open-faced granite quarry in the world is located about 45 minutes north of, of my hometown in Mount Airy, North Carolina. It's, it's a mile wide, by, a while, mile long by half a mile wide. It's so big it can be seen by orbiting astronauts in, in space. The local citizens call it the rock. And what's interesting about it is it was once considered a white elephant when it was purchased in 1849 by a fellow, by a farmer, who was so angry by this, about this big white rock he found in the middle of his field that he had to move. Um, that in fact, he was so upset, he insisted that the seller give him back part of what he paid for for that piece of ground. So the story goes that the huge Mount Airy white granite quarry was bought for next to nothing. It was discarded as worthless. But now it produces 2 million feet of white granite every year. Discarded as worthless. But now seen as valuable. And in fact, you know, they've been harvesting stone from that quarry for over 150 years. And here's what's interesting. Because the stone that's taken from that quarry is, cu is cut out of the same rock, Buildings that were built with that stone 150 years ago and buildings that are built with that stone today and 150 years in the future and beyond will look essentially the same because it's all cut out of the same rock. 
So in the same way, Jesus is the living stone. And we are living stones too because we're cut out of the same rock. Jesus, the living stone. We are literally, friends, chips off the old block. And he's using us, living stones, for a very special and specific purpose. He's making us, and this is verse 5, making us into what Peter calls a spiritual house. You know, it turns out that Jesus, the carpenter of Galilee, is also an excellent stonemason because he's building a house, not a material house with bricks and mortar and rebar and conduit and carpet and light fixtures. He's building a spiritual house with us as living stones in that house. You've heard it said, and it's been said today, the church is not a building, and so it isn't. The people are this church because he is the living stone, and we are his living stones with which he's building his church. And it's not just any kind of spiritual house he's building. It's a temple for God that he's creating. A temple made out of people where true worship and service to the king takes place. So we're not just living stones. The passage also says he's made us priests. And not just any kind of priest. He's made us holy priests. Cleansed from our awful sin and rebellious nature to be able to worship and serve him. John wrote about this again in John chapter uh, in Revelation chapter 1 where he says to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priests to his God and Father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What those first 13 heard 150 years ago was that they were living stones and a holy priesthood for God's spiritual house. And dear friends, so are we. We've, we've seen what the passage says about God. And we've seen what the passage says about us. Now the last question of the passage, this, this is the so what question. You know, when, 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 when I hear a sermon or when I hear a Bible study, I always ask the question, okay, all of that is great information about the Scriptures, but I'm always, I always want to know, so what? How do I apply this to my life? So here's the so what question for us in this entire study today. Now that we've learned who Jesus is and, and who we are, what does Jesus want us to do about it? Well, there's a couple of things I find here. First of all, notice that, that here's where I look at the verb tenses that are used, that the Holy Spirit used when describing what's happening in these verses. Look at verse 5 again. It says this, He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. The verse says we are being built up. It's something Jesus is doing to us. This is important to realize, church. We're not building his church. He is. We're not the energy behind this place. He is. It's not our money that keeps this thing going. It's his money. We don't have an adequate plan for the future of this church, but he does because he's 
the living stone, not us. We're just chips off the block. But not only is that verb tense passive, in other words, something that Jesus is doing to us, there's also, and sometimes in some translations you don't get this, there's a command tucked away in there as well. Maybe a better translation would be this. Let yourselves be built into a spiritual house. In other words, we're commanded to allow him to work in our lives. We allow him to examine our hearts, examine our motives, our actions. We're commanded to give him the keys to our house and give him the freedom to look around anywhere he wants to look. And if he finds something in the house that doesn't please him, we are commanded to give him permission to call us on it. Because he is building us up into his spiritual house. Well, how do we do that? How does he build us up? What's our role then? Notice how Peter starts out. I'm going back to the first of the passage. How Peter starts out in verse 4. He says this. As you come to him. You get a sense there of, of movement. You get that? Movement in his direction. A coming closer and closer to him. As you come to him. You know, there's a time in every Christian's life when we came to him. Past tense. And Pastor Philip, you shared today where that happened and, 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 and how that happened. But you know, Jesus never intended us to stay there where we were when we came to him. His intention for us is for there to be movement, for there to be a coming closer and closer to Him. Because when we get more and more intimate with Jesus, we get to know Him better. When we get to know Him better, we want to surrender more and more of our lives to Him. And when we surrender more and more of our lives to Him, the more and more He can do with us His living stones. Let me say just a word about this is kind of wrapping it up. He talks about holy priest, holy priesthood, and he uses the phrase in verse 5 that we are to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Friends, this is the kicker. Because there's enough in that phrase, preacher, to last a month of Sundays. Just what is a spiritual sacrifice that's acceptable to God? See, the key here is that phrase acceptable to God because anybody can do some kind of religious work affiliated with some kind of a church and call it a spiritual sacrifice but a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God that's another matter Peter here in this passage was recalling Old Testament times and even the early early days of the New Testament when sacrifices were offered at the temple for people's sins and there were pretty elaborate rules for how the sacrifice was to be made. But the key element in the sacrifice, whether the sacrifice was acceptable to God or not, was the condition of the heart of the person that was making the sacrifice. You see, human pride and acceptable to God 
are like oil and water. They don't mix. So here, now we, now we quit preaching and go to meddling. Here's an example of how this can work in a church. Imagine there's three doors. Door number one, door number two, and door number three. Door number one says, I serve in the church because I want people to see what I do. It's door number one. Door number two is, I serve God in the church. But I like it when people notice what I do. That's door number two. Door number three, I serve God. But I don't care if others see what I do or know what I do because I'm not serving them. I'm serving God. Now, which of those three doors represents a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God? One, two, or three? Anybody going for number one? We've got no takers. Any twos? Going for number three? As Jesus said to that woman caught in adultery, go thou then and do likewise. 150 years ago at the district schoolhouse in Ozark, 13 people joined together to become Ozark Baptist Church. They heard a message about Jesus, the living stone, because the new church, they didn't have any history to look back on. They didn't have the pictures, even if they could have. They didn't have the pictures. They didn't have all of that history. They didn't have that. All they had was a promise from God and 13 people and hopes for the future. They heard that Jesus was a living stone because that new church needed to be founded on Jesus the rock. They heard about being built into a spiritual house because they needed to know that God was at work among them, and that every person in the church, every part of that spiritual house was important and necessary to the work that he was doing and was going to do in the coming weeks, months, and years. They heard that he was making them into a holy priesthood, and they heard that their task before him was to offer to God acceptable spiritual sacrifice. Church, everything they heard that summer day in June of 1869 applies to us today. Because First Baptist Church of Ozark must rest on Jesus the Rock. We must remember that He builds His church, not us. But even so, every stone, every person has an important part in His work here. And what we do here must be for Him, not for us, because it's His church, not ours. And it can only happen as we come to Him. There may be someone here today who's not sure about your relationship with Jesus, the living stone. Then let me just ask you a question. Why don't you come to Him today? There may be someone here, you know you're a Christian, but if you're asked to rate yourself on a moving towards Jesus or moving away from Jesus scale, if you're honest, you'd have to admit 
that you're moving in the wrong direction. Why not come back to Him today? Church, we must keep coming to Him. Jesus said once, the night before He's crucified, He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Because only as we keep coming to him can the living stone keep doing his work and keep building us up to make us the church that he bought and paid for by his chosen and precious blood. To conclude with this, he is the living stone. We are his living stones. He's building us up to be his spiritual house. And friends, what the carpenter of Galilee started in that district schoolhouse 150 years ago, he's not finished. There's still much to do. Our Jesus is the victorious Lamb of God. Let's follow Him. Pray with me, please. Father, in the precious and powerful name of Jesus, who is the living stone, we come to you right now again thanking you for who you are and who you are making us to be. And you have called us to come to you. And there are those that need to do that today. Father, may today, this day of celebration, may, may it be a day of returning to the one who loved us and gave himself for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.